Hey Liberators, welcome to the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model Podcast. This is going to be a mishmash of audio content. LinkedIn content, guest podcasts, interviews, debates, and live Q&A. We'll primarily discuss how you can liberate yourself from the outdated and harmful sales-led growth model from the 1980s and instead achieve marketing-led growth via the buyer-centric revenue model. Enjoy profit, growth, a competitive advantage, and more productive and fulfilling careers. Topics include 1. Marketing versus sales development. 2. Real sales versus sales assembly line. 3. Real goals and metrics versus MQLs and quota. 4. Full salary plus bonus versus commission. If you haven't already, I highly demand that you sign up for the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model Slack community to discuss and implement the model. Join the movement of forward-thinking peers liberating and modernizing B2B marketing and sales. Enjoy insights, resources, and jobs. Plus, live Q&A on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Head over to buyercentricrevenue.com to sign up. If you want to learn more, check out my LinkedIn videos or my book, Marketing-Led Growth via the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model, available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audiobook. And now to this episode. Hey, Liberators. In this episode, we've got Mike Grinberg. Did I say that right? You nice. did. Okay, I'm keeping the streak going. The founder and CEO of Proofpoint Marketing, a marketing agency helping companies do proper, modern, non-spam marketing. Mike is the host of the Master Marketer Show. And uh, are you a host of another podcast that I see? That, or uh, There's one that that's one. been on hiatus for, for a little while. So uh, sure. Yeah. Another show called Mixing Business with Pleasure. Gabby and I do that one as well. And it's that one's been a hiatus for a while. We're going to bring it back once we get a little more time here. Nice. And fun fact. So uh, Mike and his wife, Gabby, they're a, a super duo, a cup, you know, husband, wife. Uh, yep. that have this marketing agency together, which is awesome. You don't really see that too often. Um, You'd actually so be I, surprised. Oh, really? Is it a Tons of marketing agencies that are husband and wife owned. Really? Oh, interesting. I love that. Family That's what marketing So we, the reason we had that show is because there's like, God, I forget the stat now. I think it's like 3 million businesses in the US that are husband and wife owned. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, you got to think like, you know, flower shops and all that kind of, I mean, I'm exaggerating with flower shops, but. That's great. Job. You know, and I, I imagine that must be, you know, hopefully a lot of fun and bring you guys closer together. And, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, it must be a, just a great ride. And so, well, I might have to talk about that in another podcast or probably Mike and Gabby have talked about that on their podcast. So check that out. But for the moment, we will stick you right into the B2B buyer flip-flops and, Let's do it. you know, maybe you can <clears throat> share with us how you become aware of tools, you know, for example, whether that's marketing tools or, you know, as a general business owner, as an agency owner, all the tools that you're running with, whether it's CRM tools or for the website, whatnot. So yeah, how do yeah. you hear about tools for the first time from who or from where? And, you know, that, for example, that could be word of mouth or referrals from peers, coworkers, your social network, communities, yeah. influencers, yada, yada, content, social media, go ahead. I mean, the, the two main ones I would say would be, I mean, I have a lot of conversations with people because the biz dev is part of my role, which is really just, you know, they just networking for the most part. So I talk to other agency owners. I talk to uh, other tangential service providers, uh, a lot of prospective customers and we have our, and we have our, uh, our podcast. So a look across all those conversations, inevitably at some point 
tools come up, right? In our podcast, every single time, and we, it's mindset, skill sets, tool sets, results. So when we get into tool sets, every once in a while, I'll hear about a tool that someone's using for something I've never heard of. And I pull it up, I've got a bookmark list of, it's a mile long at this point. Like, have I bought all of them? No. Have I researched every single one? Also no, but I've at least looked at their homepage. Right? Mm. And there's been a few that we try to remember if there's, if I bought any in that way specifically. Um, I don't think so yet, but there's a number that we're considering. Nice one. So maybe can you share with us some of those tools that you've heard about and or bought from these ways from, you know, other speaking to other agency owners, your yeah. peers, or from prospective customers. Again, these are typically right marketing leaders or business owners yeah. who again are your peers or from podcasts. Yeah. So, I mean, our time tracking tool, we use EverHour, um, that was recommended to us by a, you know, a industry friend at one point. Mm. She actually ended up doing some consulting work for us way back. This was like five or six years ago now, but at some point she said, Hey, you guys should take a look at this. Cause we were struggling with, I think we were, I'm trying to remember what we were using back then. It was a different tool. We were struggling with some stuff. So she recommended it looked into it. It seemed to solve the problem. We bought it pretty much like that same week. Um, and again, that's a, that's a low budget. You know, you're talking like whatever it is, like, I think it's like six, $6 a user per month or something like that. So it's a very cheap tool. Um, there's others that um, we're considering. So if uh, like from a business perspective, um, spacing on the name of the tool, but one of the things that we've been struggling with is, having a better financial picture, for example, and in conversations with another agency owner, uh, we just happened to be talking about that. And she's like, Hey, you should check out whatever. I forget the name of the tool right now. It's, it's in the tip of my tongue. I can't remember now. Right. So we're, we're heavily looking into it as we explore sort of what that whole tool stack and process looks like, for example. Um, what about MarTech? Some of the tools Martech, that you use, whether it's CRM um, or... We don't, I mean, honestly, uh, we're, as a buyer, we don't buy a lot for ourselves. We're kind of, we're platform agnostic as an agency for the most part. So we'll help clients buy sometimes. Mm. Um, and they're usually things like um, that. Well, no, I guess never mind. I'll, I'll take that back. There's been one uh, tool called Sales Reach. Uh, uh, Josh Feedy, and I, I don't know if you know him. Might be a good guest to have on your show, actually. Um, we we met him at a conference at one point. Um, I'm trying to remember how we got introduced to his tool. I think it was through a, another acquaintance of ours. And again, that's like a, it's a video sales enablement tool. Right? So we use that. We love it. It's great. We recommend it to clients for that matter, too. So that's like two steps down now, right? Look at that. And, and so for marketers, one audience that you should interview are buyers that recently bought from you while it's still fresh in their head. Um, or even, you know, those who are in the opportunity stage, maybe there's a good relationship and, you know, the awareness stage is still fresh. And so you can get a little bit more insight because yeah, sometimes it's a little bit hard to trace this stuff. So, you know, that just keep that in mind. Sometimes it might be hard for your buyers when you're doing these interviews to remember. And so maybe sometimes you can, uh, talk about some of your marketing efforts to remind them, Hey, you know, we're kind of doing this. Did you hear about them from our events, from our conferences, from our content, from a social media, from a, and they're like, Oh yeah, actually, you know, so they're not always aware of every marketing thing that you're doing, 
But once you kind of maybe just say, hey, here's some of the stuff we're doing. Did any, by any chance, you know, was it this or was it that? And how much of this or that? That just might help jigger the memory. And so- Yeah, and I would say, de- depending on the price point you're talking about, the, the biggest one that we generally run into, both for our services and for, again, we, do, we, do, we work with a lot of um, like uh, high ticket service providers like management consulting firms, med tech firms, things like that. And uh, for those types of situations- almost inevitably the person that signs the check has no clue who the heck you are. The only reason they know about you is because they asked their team. And that's that kind of multi-threading early into not even the buying committee, but just people like people who would potentially know you and just throw your name in the, in the ring, if you will. That's right. So, so your coworkers are a source of word of mouth and referrals and peers and your net and your Especially larger teams, a hundred percent. Yeah. So it's like, what marketing efforts can you do to woo and charm and inform, you know, the whole department basically. And so you're putting out your content, you're doing your social media, you're doing your events, you're doing, um, you know, your communities, you're doing your free trials and your self-service and get word of mouth from users. You're doing all that stuff. You're putting all the information on the website and, you know, you guest podcasting, you're doing ads to, to make sure that, okay, just light these fires and then you create a little bit of a Tinder, right? And then it, it lights up. And so let's flip the original question on its head. How do you not like to become aware of vendors for the, for the first time? What type of marketing causes you to turn off and tune out? I mean, the, the two biggest ones are ones you talk about a lot and like a lot of people do, which is some sort of direct message spam. Really, I mean, Email for me is, is, is like, hundred percent of the time a no-go just because me personally, my inbox is strictly for client communication within the agency. That's it. We don't even have internal communication going through email. That's in Slack. Mm. Right? So my inbox is pretty much strictly reserved for client communication and obviously prospective clients as well. I fall into that partners, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and a few newsletters, but I'm even decreasing that. Mm. So just me as a, how I consume information, I just don't want that stuff on my inbox. It makes my day more difficult. <laughs> like, even mm. if it's like, even if it's really good for whatever reason, like, you know, rare, but every once in a while you get a cold email, like, Oh, this is actually not bad. It just, it messes, it messes with my, with my Zen, if you will. Right. It's, on. it's no I think different you're, you're in, a the, gated in the user, right? Too. You got gated. I don't yet. I've been, I've, I've talked to Andy a bunch. Gabby uses it. Um, it's been on my list. I've, I, I put it off just because I have a lot of biz dev conversations. So yeah. I've been av- avoiding that, but I, I got to I gotta do it because it's just a mess. Yeah, maybe that's something you can work with Andy and just say, hey, I'm really concerned. I'll miss these conversations with potential customers. How can, how can I make sure that these... Yeah. And the thing is with Gated, <laughs> and so um, just a side note here. So Gated is a free email tool to filter out spam, basically, and put it to a separate folder. And, uh, you know, in your inbox, you got your main folder, you got your subfolder. This is a subfolder called gated where you can search through your spam. Sometimes you might have certain senders, um, that get thrown in there, right? Like sometimes in your spam folder, you get certain senders that get thrown in there and, um, you can always move them and approve of them. But for the most part, it's doing wonders for a lot of B2B buyers. And yeah. this is something that marketers need to consider. If you're investing a lot of resources into email spam, no matter if your email spam is relevant, no matter if your email spam is low or high in quantity, or no matter if your email spam is personalized and you've done research and said, Hey, I 
I, I see you're an agency owner and you're a team with your wife and I've listened to your podcast and you've got kids and I've got kids and, you know, we're both, you know, like weather. And so even if you do that, um, a lot of that's going to get filtered out. And Please don't do that. Cause that's just so disingenuous. <laughs> yeah. And so um, what would you say is the second platform that you were going to mention? Oh, LinkedIn, same thing. Like I just, hundred percent. I pretty much just delete every single in, in mail I get, which is unfortunate because the tool was originally built for something that's I think is useful, and it's ruined it for the things that it was built for. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know that I've gotten. I think the, the only valuable emails I've gotten is from people trying to get a job at Proofpoint that were just trying to that I was not directly somehow connected with. Those are fine. I accepted those, but other than that, it's all clearly automated stuff and yeah yeah totally and how about the the final kahuna <laughs> the same thing that's happening to your email inbox and your linkedin inbox to your phone inbox in other words telemarketing no it doesn't i don't get that uh because so i'm i don't know if this is for whatever reason i don't i don't get a lot of um actually any i guess uh call spam at least not for, not for people trying to sell me. So the Google actually does a pretty good, we, we use Google Fi. Google does a pretty good job of weeding that stuff out before it, ever, before it ever gets through. My big problem right now is like really bad spam and phishing texts, but that's got nothing to do with buyers. It's just, you know, probably China, Russia, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know? all sorts of weird stuff i get those you know, two. the sheep Not wants to give me 10 million dollars or whatever yeah it's wire your money now so um what would you say is the percentage of spam that results in you buying zero mm. and never so what would you say is then the percentage split preference for becoming aware of vendors from you know things like your peers other agency owners co-workers prospective customers podcasts and the like versus uh, email spam or LinkedIn spam or phone spam or telemarketing. I mean, the opposite. The only one I'll throw out there is like, I've, I've actually become aware of a number of tools through ads, but like quality ads. Um, the one thing I'll throw out there though, we might be getting to this. I can't, can't remember, but um, what I've seen a lot of people doing is they'll do a decent job on the demand gen side. So they'll get you interested and maybe I even go and I'm like, Oh yeah, this sort of solves a, kind of a problem that I'm aware of that it's maybe not the most important, but kind of, and I'll fill out a form like, yeah, sure. I'll find out more. And then I, for one reason or another, I'll often decide like, yeah, you know, it's not worth my time investing in right now. And they just hound you. And it's yeah. just this awful process of you just turned a good thing into like, now if I, there's a number of these vendors out there. Um, uh, one is a, uh, shoot, I'm, I'm forgetting them right now. Uh, they're like, it, like business loans, uh, God, what are they called? Anyway, they're just hounding you completely. I'm like, you know, at this point when I, when I do need one, I'm not coming to you just out of principle anymore. Yeah. And that, that's a shame because it, it, it turns them off. Right. I think we even spoke about this once, Mike, a long time ago. I think <clears> we even <throat> use this example, um, of this, uh, you know, exact use case where you're just being hounded by this, uh, by this company and it really turned you off. And so, yeah. So as a buyer and, and I, I see ads, for, you know, to clarify for the audience, um, you know, I don't technically see ads as spam. 
in the sense that ads are on a public or private platform with user consent agreements to ads. Well, sometimes some ads, sure, and they annoy you or they're not very good or you see them all the time, but it's it's the price and consent that you pay for using that platform. Very different from when it's your email inbox, LinkedIn inbox in your phone, and you're getting this unsolicited pitches or, or requests to speak to sales. Um, and yeah, and so that's sort of the, the difference. There is a technical definition between spam and non-spam and trying to help people realize that sometimes you can feel it, but you also, it's also good to know it explicitly and consciously of like, okay, what's the technical definition here as opposed to just like, how does it feel? And so, um, so as a, as a buyer, what would you say is your percentage split preference for, for becoming aware of vendors through, through the former versus the, you know, the oh, spam, yeah, email spam? hundred percent. You know, like, I don't, again, like I said, I've never, I've never at this point bought anything from, uh, what we're talking about as spam outreach. Like if I, you know, there's been a few cold outreach emails even that I've, that I have responded to because they just happened to land at the right time, but I haven't bought anything from them yet because just wasn't important enough kind of thing. Right. And the only time that the reason why people spam is because some small, tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of the time, some people will take a demo and some percent, small percentage of that will actually buy and they ignore everything else. It's like, oh, okay, great. It booked a meeting. Great. That's it. We're hands done. It's, like it it's booked incentives a meeting. though, right? It's all about the incentives. That's right. So a lot of the people who, so sales development, whose job it is to basically do this type of marketing, to do this spam marketing, do telemarketing, email spam and LinkedIn spam. That's their purpose. That's how they're different than marketing. Their whole goal metric and compensation is tied to meetings a month and that's it. And it doesn't matter if people show up to those meetings or it doesn't matter if those meeting turns opportunities or to close one. And it doesn't matter uh, the opportunity cost of doing not spam and um, doing more proper modern non-spam marketing and all the ha- harm and cost and damage of spamming people and all the resources that go into spamming people. None of that is given any attention and companies will often blend the spam with the good, they'll blend their good and bad marketing together when they analyze their total marketing efforts, which allows the bad marketing or the spam to ride off the coattails and hide behind the good marketing, the proper marketing. So marketers, you should just realize this because the the question I asked is almost facetious. It's like, what percentage of spam would you like? Zero. And But then you say, what percentage of spam have, have you actually bought? Zero. Have you taken some meetings from spam? Yeah, but I was just kind of kicking the tires, kind of interested in, you know, the spam just happened to make it through the, the gates. Or oftentimes it's, yeah, the company was already, I was already charmed and interested because of their proper marketing and, and, you know, word of mouth and referrals and whatever. And I was going to come in anyways, but they spammed me. And then, so they call it prospecting as a code word for spam, because sometimes you do hit gold, but do you want 0.01% of your market and to turn off 99% of your market or or push some sub, subset of your market prematurely and artificially to sales? Or do you want to win 99% of the market? or hundred percent more, whatever. But the point is um, you have to ask yourself compared to what and what could be done if you do proper marketing versus spam. So now with that, with that rant over, once you are aware of a vendor and are shopping and are researching the vendor from where or from whom do you go for information? So for example, again, your peers, the website, YouTube, Google review sites, which is important to you and what do you want to, yeah, go from there. I would say it, it differs by what it is. So if it's a, uh, 
an inexpensive purchase, like whatever, let's assume like uh, it's a Slack plugin that's going to cost me 99 cents per user or something like that. You know, we have a fairly small team of 10 people. So like if it's something like that, just give me everything self-serve. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to click a button and buy it, try it. And if I like it, I'll keep it. Right. I don't need to talk to anybody. Um, if it's slightly more expensive where I'm going to be potentially spending, you know, maybe a couple thousand dollars a year, uh, since we're talking uh, mostly tools, then give me everything I need to at least come in to the conversation prepared and then connect me to the person that can answer my exact questions. Now, if it's a, um, if it's a much more bigger value purchase or a much more complex relationship that needs to be built. So oftentimes that's around services. So say like uh, if we're looking for a new uh, uh, Accountant. CPA firm, CPA firm, exactly. yeah. something like that. Right. Then I want to talk to the, like, I mean, in our case, I, we're going to be looking at small firms, not the large ones. I want to talk to the owner and ideally it's the owner that is, you know, uh, also involved in the business. And I want to, I want to talk to them on a personal level. Right. Um, same thing. Like we just, uh, we had to go through a cybersecurity thing for a couple of clients and uh, you know, we need to find a cybersecurity uh, consultant, right. Same thing. Like I want to talk to the person doing the work and I want to do it sooner than later. Cause I'm going to, I'm an office. I don't know anything about cybersecurity. Not really. Uh, and I just want, I want my exact questions answered no matter how stupid they are. Mm. Yeah. So depending on the complexity of the product, depending on the familiarity of the product, depending on how expensive the product is, depending if the product is uh, service-based, the whole point of doing these interviews is to help you figure out, hey, how should we be doing marketing sales based on what our product is and who our audience is and what their buying preferences are. So not everyone's going to be the same. That's why we're asking here for percentage split preferences and why, you know, you you should be doing these interviews with your buyers and not guessing or making assumptions. Just ask, you know, just find out. You get it right from the horse's mouth. And so what information do you want on the website? What do you want to see and be able to do on the website for a tool or, or vendor? Again, I'd say it, it depends on what it is. Like so if we compare, the, the biggest comparison I always bring up in these things is services versus product. Uh, it's usually pretty, pretty hard split in terms of what you can even do. Um, but I'll also say that a lot, it's kind of funny that a lot of the product companies uh, like a lot of the service companies can learn a lot from product companies and vice versa, but on opposite sides. So service companies can learn a lot from a marketing perspective from product companies, but product companies can learn a lot from serv- from service companies from a sales perspective. So uh, what I mean by that is a lot of the things that you talk about in terms of uh, like having one person that's doing the sales, most consulting orgs do that. Like it's the literally, it's the managing director that does your discovery call that takes you all the way through and that he's that he or she is that same person that's also going to be doing the work even for that matter, or at least leading the team that's doing the work, right? No different than uh, uh, a lot of the time, like with, with the services we offer. I mean, I don't do much of the work anymore, but uh, we bring in like, you know, director of demand gen and that person starts having that conversation, et cetera. Um, versus, you know, on the product side, you get a really crappy discovery call with an SDR who doesn't know anything about you, that kind of thing. I mean, sometimes they're okay. Um, you know, and you have like, two or three transitions on the flip side, 
services companies are god awful at explaining what the heck they actually do and who they do it for, mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't have pricing pages. They don't have any mm-hmm. of that. Right. And you're kind of left wondering, like, I, I don't know, are you for me or are you not for me? And the, on the flip side, a, a lot of product companies now are much better at that. Right. They have the good ones have a pricing page, or at least like that's got a starting at or something like that. You know, uh, they've got an FAQ page of here's the main list of questions that uh, we generally get asked, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I would say it's that kind of stuff. If it's a product, definitely a demo, just give me a walkthrough. Like you should know at this point, what, what are the, like, what's 80%, 80% of your users are using 20% of your product. Show me that 20%. Mm, exactly. So, you know, put, as much information as you can on the website. It's your 24 seven marketer and seller. So show the product on your other channels. Yeah. Put it out there, put the <clears> price <throat> on, you know, the information that your buyer wants. So give it, give it to them in the best way that you can on the website for them to self-serve and share with other people. Don't hide it behind sales. And so um, these are sort of two kind of niche specific questions on the website. Um, what percentage of the time would you prefer a live chat feature with sales for quick questions versus a formal meeting? So suppose you needed sales, I guess, you know, we're trying to understand how much use would you get out of live chat with sales versus a formal book demo? Again, I would say it's, it's sort of the, to me, that's, it's very situational. I've, I hate most companies chat because it's usually some automated bot that sends you into a form anyway. Right. But if we're talking that's like same. actual chat where someone's yeah, available, live chat. <clears throat> um, I don't know that I can think of a percentage because I, I can give you a couple of uh, use case examples where either or worked. So um, we use a company called Take Command Health for our HRA for healthcare, right? And they're probably, I would say, the, in my mind, one of the best examples of where live chat, both for sales and customer support, works amazing. Like they're just, I don't know, I've never, I've never had anything better. Let's put it that way. So mm. round of applause for them. Um, and when we were doing research again, they came recommended, or, well, I should say the category of HRA in general and HRA providers came recommended by our accountant, did some research. They were one of the first that came up, you know, and I was able to literally just put a message in like, Hey, I'm here's who we are as a company. Is this going to work for me? Yes, it is. Blah, blah, blah. Gave me a couple answers, shot me a couple links to articles, you know, a week later we were, I was talking, I did at that point schedule more detailed kind of onboarding almost. Right. Um, on the flip side, um, like at one point we were switching CRMs and I got, you know, the majority of my questions answered through just their FAQs and their content, whatever. But there's a few things I just, I really needed to talk to somebody at that point. I just, I don't want to chat. I don't want to waste that time. Just give me a scheduled time where I can, dedicate whatever, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. I know what it's about. I can prep for it and I've got everything in front of me and I just get it done. And so on that note, I think you already answered it. What percentage of the time would you, when you do want to speak to sales, would you prefer an SDR to qualify you and schedule you with a call or over email versus automatically 0%? Yep. It's it's a waste of time. I mean, I've, I've, there have been very few, like I get it to a certain extent. Like, look, I, you know, I got a demo of Gong at one point. And it didn't make sense from a cost perspective. But again, I think at that point, Gong didn't have their pricing on their site. So it could have been solved easily just by that. Mm, exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of times um, 
where buyers will take a demo just to get information that they should have gone for marketing and such as when you hide your information behind sales and people just want to kick the tires and just browse. They're kind of curious, but they just want to have a poke around, but they're not well-informed and serious about, you know, so if marketing is not doing their job, basically, then, um, well, you're not doing your job and that's not going to be good for the company's growth and profit. And to the extent that buyers need sales help to buy as opposed to buying on this on the website or trying the product on the website, then you're not going to set up sales for success either. So, um, sales doesn't benefit by just like hiding information behind sales. It's not in, if you're a sales leader, listen to it, it's not in your interest to be like marketing, don't give information that the buyer wants from you and says they want from you. Let's hide it behind sales. That's not going to do you any favors. So l- let's talk about, um, well, what would you say is your percentage split preference for self-serving information, um, you know, or, or self-serving the ability to buy versus sales? Um, I think it depends at which point in the, in the journey, right? Like at some point, I like, like we were talking about, especially if it's a higher consider purchase, I do want to talk to somebody. Right. And so, um, but generally speaking, uh, uh, you could, another way to think about it is even when you do need to speak to sales, right? How far along the buying journey are you? Yeah. So how much are you influenced by, let's say your ability to self-serve? you know, um, percentage wise versus, you know, what sales is, is doing to influence your decision. Yeah. No, I, I, I get where you're coming out with that. Like it's, I want to be, I guess the best, the best way to describe it is whatever I'm buying, whether it's a product or a service, I want to be as prepared to talk about my specific situation on that sales call. Like you shouldn't have to, I shouldn't have to ask you about pricing uh, I shouldn't have to ask you about, like, if we're talking product, I shouldn't have to ask you about integrations available. I shouldn't have to ask you about um, industry served. Yeah, I'll give you an example. Like right now, we're in the process of one of our, uh, for one of our clients, we need a data enrichment uh, platform. And they're a med tech company, so med, med device. And that's a, and we're selling into physicians. That's a hard one. That's a harder one for data enrichment. Not every company's got that right database. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to my go-tos, Clearbit. Do you serve them? I have no idea. Like Clearbit is a company as big as they are. They don't have, at least not that I can easily find, a list of, hey, we serve these industries and here's the size of our database and whatever. By industry, for example. It's like, why would you not share that? Mm. You have nothing to lose by it because now I can, so now I'm having to waste time and go, okay, well, now I got to go talk to a whole bunch of vendors versus if they have it and they, uh, and they shared it ahead of time, I probably want to be looking at other vendors as an example, just because mm. I already know about them and I've used them in the past. So it's like, uh, so anyway, going back to my point is as, as much information as you can possibly give me so that when I do talk to sales, I'm actually having a valuable conversation. Right. Totally. And so to help, you know, to help marketers see where everyone is on the spectrum, generally speaking, whether it's products or services as a <clears> buyer, <throat> um, what would you say yeah, is a percentage with preference for self-serve versus sales? Self-serve, I don't know, 90%. I can, again, there's, there are certain situations where it's so complex. You're like, you know what, whatever, let me just fill out a form and talk to somebody right away. Cause yeah. And so this is, this is obviously for, for, you know, when you're doing your buyer interviews, you know, who your audience is, you know, what your product is, you know, your product or services, you know, what your price point is. Um, so obviously you're not getting a, you're getting a more specific answer. That's what you really want. But the point is um, what you're seeing here in the aggregate general buyer preferences and you can 
see some patterns of just like, hmm, um, it seems like buyers want way more marketing, if not all marketing, and way less sales. And the whole point of it is to say, well, how are we going to market? Like, are we sales-led or marketing-led? Are we investing and prioritizing marketing or, we, or, or sales? And are we freeing marketing to do its thing in the way that buyers want marketing? Or are we handcuffing marketing in the ways that buyers don't want marketing? And so these are the things, the whole point of these interviews. And you can do 15 to 30. And I've shared the questions. You can use similar questions to the one I'm asking, but that's the whole, the whole idea. Um, and so now when you do need sales, um, would you, and I think you mentioned this before and you might've answered it, which would you prefer? A single seller with no handoffs? In other words, an account executive, CSM combined, same seller pre-sale, same seller post-sale, or the typical handoff with two sellers, the AE and then the CSM post-sale? The, the, the prior, for sure. Like it's, and again, it's, I come from the, obviously, services space. A lot of our clients are in there too. And again, it's, this is where I think product companies can learn a lot. Because again, you look at you look at the general structure of most, especially like mid, small to mid-sized consulting groups. So like 50 to 200, 300 people, that's how they generally operate. It's a managing director who's leading that group. That's either industry group or whatever it is. They're the ones that are doing the, the, the discovery call. They're the ones that are doing the entire sales process or leading it. And then they are also there post-sale as well. Right. And they're oftentimes the main point of contact, et cetera. So like the services industry already does this and it works wonders. Yeah. And, and I think you're right that B2B can learn from a little bit from sales, from services. Um, and when I say B2B, I think the general assumption is SaaS, right? So it's, it's product and not services like accounting services or legal services. Um, but, but yeah, to the extent that buyers want sales, then they don't want the handoffs. They want a single point of contact, someone that has full expertise and efficacy and is accountable to them post-sale. Is And since marketing is doing most of the pre-sale uh, sale, like marketing is providing most, if not all the information, including marketing's influence on buyers' peers, word of mouth, that's a byproduct of marketing, um, then sales is way less about than it used to be about helping the buyer pre-sale with evaluation. Maybe there's some small percentage of it, but as you're seeing from our conversations and from all the data and research from Gardner and Forrester, sales is way less about pre-sale and way more about post-sale fulfillment about, hey, if I'm buying this big old product that's complex and it requires org-wide rollout, then we're going to need to customize it. We're going to need to get people to adopt it. We're going to need to like, you know, get all the departments on board, whatever, going to go through legal and security, whatever. And you need, and you probably want someone to help with that. Now you can try to automate and self-serve a bunch of, bunch of that, but to the extent that buyers want someone, a human to help them, then yeah, sales is way more post-sale fulfillment. Yet most companies are still have the sales assembly line split where they have one seller pre-sale, one seller post-sale. So, and then they typically have other sales subdivisions within that. You might have a sales engineer that actually has product expertise and does the demo. So you might have like three different sellers and you have this bloated sales org with different managers and tools and processes and hiring, coaching, whatever. Um, and then some people might say, oh, well, it's not scalable to have an AECSM combined. Why? Can you not hire people? Uh, well, the AE is busy spamming people. Why? Do you not have marketing? Uh, and so it's like you need to check their assumptions. And I'm being a little facetious because obviously their arguments are better than that. But um, the point is, it's possible. And because if you have a seller that's supported properly by marketing with well-informed demo requests, then they can focus on their actual job of helping a buyer to with mostly pre-sale post-sale fulfillment, which is what buyers want. So cater accordingly 
and then hire more people at when marketing forecasts additional demand and say, hey, business is on the uptick. We're going to need to hire more sellers and we're going to need to manage their productive capacity. So which would you prefer? A seller who is paid commission or a seller who is paid a full OTE salary plus bonus, just like every other department and why? So if I, if I, if I can add one other thing, if you don't mind, it's, it's oh, yeah, related go ahead. to this actually. So the, the other thing that I think um, is important to note is when people, at least me personally, I know a lot of others are the same. When I'm talking to sales, I want to talk to a product expert. Right. If I'm buying product, mm-hmm. if I'm buying services, I want to talk to the person that's at least done the job, even if they're not doing it anymore. Right. So I think a lot of the, that's the other thing that I, which relates, by the way, I think to your commission question, which is the people who want the commission are not the same people who are going to want to do the work and that know how to do the product or whatever, things like that. So if you look at product, it's sales engineers is the, the typical term, right? And you get those in the big enterprise sales organizations like Oracle and whatever. Like that's what I want to talk to if I'm buying a product. I want to know somebody who's who knows the ins and outs that can help me understand how it fits into my specific situation. If I'm buying a service, like this is why it works really well on the service side, by the way, because that managing director is doing the work. They're doing it day in and day out. They can, they're not just banting me to death. They are actually asking me questions about, well, have you thought about this? No, I haven't. Tell me more, right? Um, but the compensation for these people has to be different because, and again, you, you can look at it and you can, you can see how it works on the service side. Like the managing directors, they have your more typical, you know, obviously that, you know, once you're up high enough, you get, you know, some sort of stock ownership share, you know, that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. um, it's some sort of basic base plus, uh, you know, per- company performance bonus versus commission. Right on. Again, so, it's, it's because you're incentivizing. You can't incentivize um, behavior that's not driving that immediate impact. If you're if you're paying commission, because then they're like, "Oh crap, I don't get to eat tomorrow if you know if I don't get this meeting." Right, and what I don't the, close this deal tomorrow. That's that's true, and and what, that's a great point. And one of the reasons that the sales assembly line, the AECSM split, and other sales subdivisions mm-hmm. like sales engineers or account managers. The reason that persists other than, um, you know, the remnants of the 1980s and predictable revenue that preserved the 1980s sales-led growth model is because of quota and commission. Because what they have is the AE or the account executive is solely gold and measured and compensated or 50% compensated, 50% of their salary is withheld pending their quota attainment. And what quota is, is a short-term partial goal and metric, which for sales or AEs are revenue on the initial sale. That's all that matters. Nothing else matters. Just get the person to buy and that's it. And if you don't, well, too bad, 50% of your salary is being withheld. And so that makes the AE not care at all about post-sale fulfillment, which is what buyers actually care about and has divorces post-sale fulfillment from, from, from account executives. So they have no accountability. So it's chuck them over the fence to the CSM, pressure sale to get the deal. And that's all that matters. And I'm desperate because it's 50% of my salary. It's not, it's half the cake. It's not icing on the cake. Like a bonus is like every other department. No other department wants commissions. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors that sellers are, are taught to like yearn for commissions. And like, you know, there's a sense in which if you're really, really, really hungry, then you're just grateful when you do get some food. So it's like, so when they do get commissioned, they're like, oh my God, I, I had a, a, something to eat. Well, it's like, well, you know, you can get the full meal if you just had a full salary plus bonus and that's more advantageous for you. So mo- mo- most sales leaders are realizing this. And so um, 
you know, companies that don't have commission uh, and have seen the light and have seen amazing uh, benefits, money.com, Backblaze, Legion Logistics, Microchip Technology, Pluralsight, Coltramp, Zapier, Bravado, Refine Labs, uh, et cetera. Um, way more that I, that I don't, I'm not aware of. Um, and so they're, they're the smart companies and there's modern companies who are trying to gain a competitive advantage by not structuring their sales team like that. And you can use that in your marketing efforts uh, and on the website. So you can let your buyers know that companies that are uh, have real sales or AECSM combined, they, they include Snowflake, Evo Payments, Botkeeper, Tribe29, Ava, ArcSite, Bravado, and Refine Labs. And again, many companies I'm not even aware of. Most of my research has been in other areas. I'm trying to find out more and more, such as from doing these interviews and sharing that. I'm sure more of these companies will come to light as more of these discussions are had and in the market-led growth community as well. But it's important to know that there are people who are doing this and that you can look to them for examples and that they're the ones who have a competitive advantage. So now I'll, I'll give you a personal example. Like we at one point tested the more traditional, like we don't, we had, you know, a prospecting person, quote unquote, right. Didn't work. Right. We just want to test it that out of curiosity. This is a while ago. Um, so we, we don't do that anymore. For that matter, I don't have a salesperson. I'm, I'm the only person that's doing sales, but we're doing a hell of a lot more demand gen and having, uh, you know, people with personal brands, et cetera. And that's the other thing I was going to mention too, is if you have your salespeople who are actually experts in the field, rather than they just came into a new industry and they've been in there for three months, they don't know anything. They can then build and build their personal brands, all the stuff and actually do, you know, kind of a turning outbound and inbound kind of thing. They can build relationships and as long as they're not being pushed to create meetings and their job is just to, you know, have sales conversations and build relationships and they still get paid, then they will do that and create that demand on a personal level and create those relationships and bring them in and all that stuff. So that's, that's a good point. So my view on to the extent that sales should do marketing. So it's marketing's job to do marketing and it's sales job to do sales and HR to do HR to the extent that sales does marketing it's in addition to marketing is icing on the, on the marketing cake and they shouldn't have to, right? You don't see uh, marketing doing HR or IT doing operations. And so if a seller is going to do marketing as icing on the marketing cake, in addition to marketing, then they should only do it through proper marketing, through proper modern non-spam marketing, which many sellers already do content, social events, you know, community, their personal network referrals, um, and not spamming people with telemarketing, email spam, and LinkedIn spam. Um, because let's just say marketing's not doing their job, or even if marketing's doing their job, their sales leader is like, hey, go spam people in addition to marketing, doing proper marketing. And so that's not the job of sales is to spam people. Um, it was in the 1980s part-time because marketing didn't have the ability to do anything it has today. And all that information was behind sales. And well, buyers needed sales and marketing couldn't bring buyers to sales. So sales went outbound, quote unquote, with spam. And so, but it's 2022. And so um, marketing sales has changed. And so now let's take off your beauty buyer flip-flops and uh, put on your marketing hat. So how, you mentioned this just right now. So you, you talked a little bit about how you're doing marketing at Proofpoint, you know, your marketing agency. And you said, well, you know, we, at one point we experimented just with prospecting, AKA, you know, maybe a seller that spanned people um, to, to get meetings. But we realized 
unnecessary and does more harm than good, which is always a question that marketers should be asking about their marketing efforts. Is it necessary and does it do more good than harm relative to everything else? So um, now that allows you to see the full picture. And, but you said, you know, leaning to more into demand gen stuff and I'll, I'll share in a moment how I heard about you guys. Um, but maybe you can talk about how you make your buyers aware of proof point. And part B of this question is how are you finding out from your buyers, how they're becoming aware of you? So one thing I'll, I'll uh, add a, maybe a little more color to. So for the, when we had the, I don't know what to call them an SDR, but the, what we tried to do is we're trying to figure out what the right compensation model is. I'm like, well, okay, let's do the traditional thing that everybody seems to do that everyone's used to. And let's find somebody that's good at, you know, building relationships. So we tried to sort of do, we get the, try to get the best of both worlds and it's not possible. That, that's really the main thing that we found is because what was happening is it was taking much longer to build the type of relationship we wanted. And then they weren't getting compensated enough. Right. So as we were having that happen and uh, it just it didn't make sense. Right. And then we, the other thing we just realized is we, we didn't need that, that person. We were better off just hiring people that have their like, like directors of demand gen and things like that, that have good networks and good brands and allowing them to just do their thing. And that's our, you know, that's part of our inbound. That's not the whole thing. You know, you're asking what we do. We have our podcast, uh, Gabby and I are both active on, on LinkedIn, you know, putting out content. Um, we do take part in some communities, although I, lately I haven't had a bunch of time for it. So not a lot. Um, and we're working on a whole bunch of other things. Like we're working on putting out guest podcasting, courses. guest podcasting. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. There's that too. Um, some events here and there. Um, courses you mentioned. Uh, well, we're we haven't we don't have any yet. This it's on the it's in the pipeline. Putting together uh, putting together courses and some of our frameworks. Um, uh, it's the other thing that's been in pipeline has been delayed is uh, like a a cohorted type mastermind group uh, for specific types of um, businesses, things like that. So those are all the things. And again, it's so really, it's your high level, it's your basics, right? It's, it's community and it's content and it's, uh, I guess, personal branding, if you want to put that label on it. Yeah. Which is just like, you know, oh, wow, Mark, I'm doing marketing. So you might just say personal marketing, right? It, and so um, but people tend not to like to use the M word. And so they'll say anything but marketing. Um, but you know, but um, so yeah, you're doing proper modern non-spam marketing. You, you, you know, you experiment a little bit with spam um, and just realize, Hey, look, like that's totally unnecessary. It does more harm than good. You brought in, you're doing all this proper marketing and you, you have, um, you know, subject matter experts, people who do the work at your company, your employees who are out there, content social media and, and maybe a lot of you have seen that from marketing agencies right you will see the subject matter expertise come out on linkedin from consultants and agencies and thought leaders and uh for example another one in your space right is the well-known chris walker from refine labs and the whole team is on doing linkedin doing you know getting the expertise out there they have a podcast or guest podcasting um and so consultants and agencies one of the things they sell in addition to execution is expertise is strategy. And so, well, what do you do? Well, you get, you get your thoughts out there and you're at the forefront helping other marketers realize whatever it is that they're doing today, you'll probably be optimized or that what they're doing today is right, but they need an extra hand for people who, you know, can, can, can do it right. And so, um, 
that's the, they're not that the way to solve the way to do that is not to go and spam your buyers, right? It's to go out there and show off your expertise and be active and help people in your communities and content and social media. And you get referrals, you get word of mouth. And so, I mean, how are you finding out from your buyers? What feedback are you getting? Oh, uh, you know, hey, Mike, I heard about you here. I heard about you there. I heard about Proofpoint. And then I'll share how I heard about you guys. Yeah. So, uh, a couple of things. One is our main channels, I guess it's LinkedIn plus podcast. Like that's our, that, that's the main thing. Uh, I, I don't have an exact percentage of revenue mm. right now, but it's like 80% roughly, maybe more came through that way. And a byproduct uh, of that is word of mouth, right? And referrals. Do you get some of those or some percentage? Yeah, of, that? of course. And, that, and that's, I mean, I'm tying it all back that way for sure. Um, Cause you know, like there was a, there was a referral that came through from somebody who was on our show. Uh, we've had that happen. We've had a referral that came through from somebody who we invited on our show, didn't come on our show, became a client and then referred somebody. Right? So just <laughs> any permutation of those things. And, you know, the other thing too, is when we had our salesperson, most of their job was actually inviting people to the podcast. Like it was, so it wasn't even like spam per se. It wasn't like, Hey, my name is so-and-so. Can I get 15 minutes of your time? And it was, Hey, my name is so-and-so. I see you guys are doing some great stuff. Would you, you know, do you want to come on the master marketer show? That's right. And so one way um, I recommend in order to gradually sun for marketers to gradually sunset mm-hmm. sales development or spam is to repurpose sales development into marketing gradually. And there's a business case for it that you can make. Mm-hmm. I, I outline an analysis for that business case. And then for the two experiments to run, to prove it, and then to gradually sunset sales development. And one of the ways in which you do that during the experiment is to repurpose, gradually repurpose sales development to marketing is by having them do marketing. And marketing includes inviting people to co-create content. And so there are current sales development teams now who are still working in sales development, who have sales development goals, metrics, and compensation. So they get quota, they have commission, they have you know, all the nonsense of sales development that marketing doesn't have. And they're saying, hey, look, Spam isn't shaking out. So in, a, in addition to doing some spam, you're going to do some marketing, but you're also going to still be on quota and commission. So it's like, okay, so you want them to do marketing's job, but to some extent, but you want them to have spam goals, metrics, and compensation. And so you handcuff them. And so it's like, okay, they will do some proper modern non-spam marketing, like inviting people to podcasts, but they'll also be doing spam. And so you can't put someone in a spam role and with all the constraints of a spam role and say, Hey, you know, maybe you should do proper marketing. It's like, no, like put them into a marketing role, put them into marketing. And so, um, yeah, so really liberate them, free them because they're realizing that spam is not working. So we talked about email filters, uh, and that most people now they're communicating internally or externally on Slack, even though with customers and clients. So, you know, first of all, spam isn't working the way it, it, it quote unquote worked. Um, like it used to, um, spam has just become uh, more and more harmful, I would say, relative to proper marketing. But buyers have just gone better at tuning out and turning off to spam through filters like gated for email or just ignoring your LinkedIn inbox or just silencing unknown callers or whatnot. And so what do you have left? Well, it turns out there's this whole thing called modern, proper, non-spam marketing that you can do that many people are doing like Mike and Proofpoint. And so um, now... Moving, moving onwards um, from, from your agency. So as part of, as part of your efforts to help your clients, um, I'm curious, have you ever um, helped them 
analyze the efficacy or ROI of different lead sources from their marketing efforts? And if so, how did you bucket the different lead sources and what did you see? And then from there, how did you make changes and say, hey, do more of this, less of that? That's a, we have a whole separate conversation just about that. Um, the, I mean, we generally, we look at, we look at measure models, uh, kind of a triangulation between click-based attribution, self-reported attribution and performance correlations, right? So it's gotta be a mix of those three because n- not one, not single, not any single one of those will give you enough. And even, even between the three of those, there's, there's always gaps in the measurement anyway, you slice it. Mm. Um, but what, one of the things that I think many are afraid to do is get creative in their measurement. It's like, okay, if it doesn't come out of a tool, then it's, then I'm not, you know, there's a difference between uh, attribution and measurement. That's the other thing you can, you can measure everything. You can't attribute everything. Um, so what we'll generally do is we'll look at click-based attribution to understand um, what's working in, you know, high intent channels, I guess you can say it. So where it's useful is things like paid search, for example, things like that. Um, it's directional at least. Uh, then we'll use self-reported to understand, okay, where, what are they potentially not telling us? What, what's the tool potentially not telling us? But even self-reported has its fallacies, has its gaps where people forget, right? Or they might tell you, oh yeah, I heard about you on the podcast. When in reality, a year before that, uh, your name was mentioned as either internally or externally or whatever, right? They just don't remember anymore. Um, and then on top of that, then you start looking at performance correlations like, all right, if we are doing marketing for this industry and, but not for this other, we're, you know, we're doing this, you know, this channel for this industry, but not on the other, what are we seeing as total percentage of revenues, like by industry, mm-hmm. for example, you know, things like that. Um, so it's, it's those three things that we're going to look at. And that's the, the model that we always set up. And, you know, and everybody's model is a little bit different in terms of how much weight you give to a specific type of correlation versus to, click-based versus whatever. And that, that depends on, you know, industry and all that kind of stuff. Yes. There are some old school industries where, you know, you know, you can try to do self self-reported attribution, you know, what goes in those forms half 90% of the time, Google. That's not very useful to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, so the, Marcus, this is a good point. So he makes a distinction between goals and metrics versus attribution, just to clarify what that means. So goals and metrics for marketing could be profit, revenue, cost per acquisition, cost per acquisition, payback period, win rate, sales cycle, opportunities, free trial activations, demo requests, things like that, that you want to see improvements in those metrics and growth rates and whatnot, trends, long-term trends, especially. Um, And so those are your goals and metrics to measure the efficacy and ROI of marketing right? Um, we're putting this much dollars in marketing, we're getting this much out, and here's our efficiency and our effectiveness. And so attribution is is different. Attribution is saying um, what marketing efforts influence buyers positively and by how much versus negatively and by how much. And so um, you're trying to say, okay, where should we double down? What's taking credit? Right? It's t- basically trying to find credit. And yeah, you will never see hundred percent attribution on everything that you're doing. There'll always be gaps, but there's many ways to triangulate to get a pretty good picture. So um, 
you're just having a good thumb pulse and that allows you to place bets that allows you to give credit where credit is due internally say hey great job podcast team great job ad team great job event team great job so and so um and to allocate your resources your time capital and labor accordingly and say hey you know maybe we should double down here and we should pour more investment there spend more time there less here uh and experiment uh with that and so some of the ways that you can get attribution one is using a tool and you know, whether that's your marketing automation tool or, or a specific attribution tool that, that captures some parts of it. You get some data points associated to deals and opportunities in your CRM, in your database. Now, another way is what he said, self-reported attribution, which is asking your buyers, ideally in one-to-one interviews. And because you get more detail, you get to have old chat and whatnot. And, um, how did you hear about us in the demo request form or whatever website conversion forms, free trial or buy now. And so open text field, you get that qualitative feedback. Um, and then you, tr- and then you triangulate between the, let's say those three, and you can also ask them on sales calls. So there's another way, but you know, and you're just getting feedback from a lot of buyers like here and there. Um, you know, maybe you speak to them on the podcast. Oh yeah, Mike, I heard about you here. I heard about Mike and, and Gabby, not through their LinkedIn content or their podcast, but through gated. Um, because they did some co-marketing with gated and I'm an advisor for gated and a you and, um, yeah, so, and a big believer in gated. So they did some co-marketing with a, let's say a vendor, a tool primarily for marketers. That's one subset. And so that's how I heard about them. And then that made me check out their LinkedIn. And then that is how this happened. And so, uh, we became connected on LinkedIn and saw each other's content. So we were similar, like-minded anyway. Um, so you're, you're trying to like, figure get those little touch points and for marketers in particular this is important for two things one um it'll get you to shine a light on your proper efforts your proper modern non-spam marketing and it'll expose your spam and um get you to use that as part of your business case to stop or gradually reduce spam and re and pour those resources gradually into proper modern non-spam marketing and then boom you stop spamming people marketing is liberated has more resources, gets to do more fun, productive marketing, and is not counteracted by spam. And then the second thing is relative to sales. So um, clearly buyers from these interviews, from all the research, buyers want more marketing, less sales, especially pre-sale. And so, but is your company investing more in marketing than in sales as an appropriate ratio? Um, Is an appropriate ratio. And also as a total percentage of the company's revenue. You know, in other words, divided up amongst all the different departments, is the company investing enough money as a percentage of the total and also relative to sales? And so if you think, hey, most of the growth and profit is in most of the demand, most of the awareness, most of the pipeline, most of the conversion and the efficient is coming from marketing, most of the word of mouth, most of the reputation is coming from marketing, that marketing is the key growth lever to profit, which it is nowadays. Um, it's not like it was in the 1980s where it was sales. And then is that reflected in your budget and investment and in your resources is marketing has, does marketing have a sufficient amount of the budget um, to do its thing or has the budget been misallocated to some extent? And you have to say, Hey, look, we need more budget and resources here to do our thing. Cause Hey, look, proof is in the pudding. Attribution is telling us um, this. And like I'm wearing the right shirt for this. What does that say? Oh my God. He says the proof is in the pudding. That's, that's, that's one of amazing. our, that's one of our little internal slogans. I love that. And one thing I'll say for the audience and why I like to bring on marketing consultants and agencies is two things. One, um, they have to be ahead of the curve. They, they can't just be a run of the mill, you know, uh, they're trying to have the expertise to show other marketers who are in-house to say, Hey, 
there's a better way of doing things. There's more optimal way of doing things with us outhouse than in-house. Um, and also, even if you do have the expertise, we can be the hands that actually knows how to get it done as opposed to hiring junior people and training them and all this type of stuff. Um, we'll do it for you. And so um, another reason why this is, agencies and consultants can help you achieve marketing-led growth um, is because you can bring them in as an objective third party. They can help you do the analysis. They can help you compare your lead sources. They can help you um, do the proposed analysis in the book and then do the experiments to help you start to transition um, and sunset or phase out your bad marketing and uh, increase your good marketing and yeah, have a much more productive and fulfilling marketing team and get to do the stuff you want. Sometimes you can, they can be the bad guy. They can come in and say, Hey, you need to start to change this. And you say, Hey, look, the marketing agency and consultant, they did all this analysis while I was doing other things that you want me to do. And Hey, they came in, they did the analysis. They, they're helping us optimize our efforts. Here's what they propose. What do you think? And great. So it wasn't you that was doing that, all that analysis. It wasn't you that was doing some of that homework and making that thing. It's the consultant and Hey, they're consultants. They're, they're they've got um, insight. Mike, how many companies do you reckon since you started in 2017 have you, or even when you've worked at before, how many com- how many companies have you had insight into their marketing efforts since you've been in B2B? Oh God, I don't know, a ton. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So, anyway, just- so here's the, the, another interesting I'll tell you is I've done, I, I've, I haven't just been in B2B, I've done a lot of retail and e-commerce too. And I think there's a ton of stuff that the, B2B folks can learn from things that those industries have been doing mm-hmm. for ages, as far as measurement goes specifically. That's a great uh, point. I mean, I don't know. Where, I, I would say hundreds. For sure. Yeah. I don't know. So it's he's looking at hundreds of companies that are either he's worked with directly or he's spoken to. Um, so you bring in someone who has got experience, not just within a couple of companies in SaaS, um, in just a specific industry, but many different industries across products, across services, across B2B and across B2C. So I mean, wow, that's a lot of experience packed into one, um, which you often don't get. And so it's why I'm so rah-rah on saying, hey, like go to these folks for help. Um, and as Mike said to himself, when he needs help with an accountant or legal service or cybersecurity, he goes to an expert, to a consultant, to an agency. That's why they exist to help them get something done and uh, not have to like learn it from scratch and learn the hard way. You go much further, faster, less cost. And so I would say, Stop spending, like, stop spending, like, don't spend your money on a sales development agency. Go, go, go and spend your money on a proper marketing agency and consultancy. So yeah, don't, so many people constantly get burned and they go back to the well and they get burned again. So um, spam is- A number of conversations I've had about, well, we're spending money with RevX and with uh, whatever- I can't even remember all their names at this point. Better place to put your money. So, so thank you, Mike, so much for coming on the show for everything that you do. Love your content and, you know, what, and what Gabby had, uh, did with, uh, you know, gated and, and, and helping buyers understand to use gated. So I was, I loved what she did there, but yeah, keep up the great work. And with that marketing led growth via the buyer centric revenue model over and out.